available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome everyone back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we are the podcast of champions covering the Pac-12 North. Uh, all, uh, maybe the South you, too. But you, you hesitated before you said champions. Yeah, pod, podcast of, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the podcast of we should God the, knows what anymore. The, the podcast of the Pac-12 North. Um, yeah, we're <laughs> we're going to talk about all of the teams. There was a lot of butt games uh, to review this weekend. We're going to do that. Only four games on the slate coming up. So we'll talk about all that. We're going to answer your questions. If you have any comments for us, you can do it a couple different ways. Pac-12 podcast at gmail.com or call or text to 424-532-0678. We'd love to get to them. Be a little bit easier, I think, going forward. We do have 11 games to preview, but only, I mean, 11 games to recap, but only four to preview. Our website is always uh, pac12podcast.com, and you can tweet us at pac12podcast. And Dave, another win for you in our picks against the spread. Nice job this week. I didn't even look. I, I assumed we did so horrifically that it didn't matter. Well, so this was weird because we just decided, look, if, if they're the blowout games, like the games with no line, there were five games with no line. So we picked all those right. Um, would that we have covered the spread or what we have picked is just hard to tell. But overall, um, I went uh, seven and four and you went uh, uh, eight and three. So pretty good uh, for you. So our actual spread picks, though, were horrendous. Yeah, two like spread picks. Like I was two and four, and you were three and three um, without the you know without the one. So I, we don't know how many we would have got from the other ones. Uh, there were some blowouts and just you know it's like whatever. We weren't going to make up lines and, and figure all that stuff out. So no, yeah, that's difficult. wasn't a great uh, wasn't a great week for us. I think we'll get into the nitty gritty now that all the games will have spreads. They're not going to be. You know, playing UC Davis and things like that anymore. I don't know. By the end of the year, UCLA continues to look this way. I don't know. Stanford might. That line might be off for the Stanford UCLA game. <laughs> I can see that. Stanford's playing an FCS. No, yeah, that was. Uh, there was some some really bad play. The Mountain West was three and zero, I think, against the Pac-12. Uh, the Pac-12 South, not a good, uh, not a good showing. Pac-12 North flexing its muscles a little bit so we'll see not everybody in the Pac-12 South but um you know Colorado is kind of carrying that mantle uh we have new we have new power rankings um mine pretty much agree with the consensus rankings we get from 24-7 sports so I'm curious to see what where yours uh lie in all that Dave um but they're you know they're, they're pretty close yeah, I think mine were pretty close. I'd probably still switch up a little bit towards the bottom, but finally, uh, well, we'll get into it in a little bit when we start recapping the games. Uh, but my number 12 is the same this week, so that's good. Okay, your number 12 is the same. Um, hey, 
Before we jump into everything, I want to tell you about something that's better than what you're doing right now. Not the way the Pac-12 South is playing. Yes, that's better. You're, whatever you're doing is better than the way the Pac-12 South is playing. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. It's a premium men's essential brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Uh, I've tried this stuff before, Dave. I like it a lot. It, you know, there's smart design. Uh, it's really simple shopping if you go to their website and check it out. It's a really easy shopping experience. It's the most comfortable underwear, socks, shorts, undershirts that I've ever had. So I love wearing my Mack Weldon stuff. They have the, the the line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial. Microbial, I think I said that right. Dave, correct me if I'm wrong. That was beautiful. Expect Basically, they eliminate odor. So uh, if you want to be comfortable and you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they're still going to refund you your money, no questions asked. Uh, they, they also do, besides underwear, socks, and shirts, they perform really well, too. Uh, it's great for working out. I use my stuff to work out in all the time. I love it. So um, I bought you know some T-shirts. I bought some uh, underwear. I like all that stuff. It's really easy to use on the website. So make sure you go check it out. It's Mack Weldon. Uh, I love their stuff, and you guys should try it out. So we have a very special offer. There's a unique promo code uh, at MacWeldon.com. so M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. And the promo code is POC. It will get you 20% off your first order at MacWeldon.com at checkout. So MacWeldon.com, POC is the promo code when you go to checkout and you're going to get 20% off your first order. You got to try some of the Dave. I love working out in it. It's just uh, breathable stuff that's, uh, that clings to you. I like it. I, I, I respect that. I respect that completely. I'll pick <laughs> up some Mac Weldon. Hey, uh, speaking of underpants, um, do you want to talk about which fan bases uh, might be soiling theirs and get into our uh, recaps of the week? <laughs> I think we should probably get into our Pac-12 Roundup. And uh, the way we're going to do this, and Dave, if, you don't have to listen. Just tell me if I'm right or wrong. because <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go backwards through our power rankings and talk about how that team did so our number 12 team is ucla bruins uh ucla fields a football team only in theory these days uh the bruins lost to fresno state um a mountain west school by 24 points at home um it was ugly ucla went down 16 nothing super early in this game um only kind of a a one good play from Keyshawn Lucer South to dislodge a fumble from Marcus McMarion uh, allowed UCLA to score. Otherwise, they very well could have gone into halftime, shut out. And then it was a botched punt return by Fresno State that allowed UCLA to score its second touchdown. So you can make a pretty good case that um, a screw up on special teams and a really good defensive play were basically the only reasons UCLA scored in this game. Uh, which is interesting, which is a, you know, that's not, that's not great. That's not great. No. Um, and uh, at one point in the second half, uh, UCLA turned the ball over on three straight possessions uh, with a two tipped ball interceptions. One uh, where Dorian Thompson Robinson threw it directly into a uh, defensive lineman's hand who then tipped it up and it was caught. And then the other, when a receiver uh, diamond Lee just kind of threw his hands at a ball instead of um attempting to catch it just kind of you know punched it and it went up into the air as well and then there was a fumble after that uh you see turned the ball over four times in this game um 
And yeah, it was atrocious. UCLA is now 0-3. Um, they've been beaten at home by an AAC school and a Mountain West school, as well as going on the road to uh, get blown out by a Big 12 school uh, in Oklahoma, obviously a top five team. Um, and that was maybe their best showing so far in the young season that they lost by 28 points to Oklahoma. Yeah. So, Things are not going well in Westwood. No, not that great. Um, this was the only game we picked differently because, you know, there weren't that many, as many against the spread. Uh, it was basically a pick em. I think it was like one point or something. And I took, uh, I took UCLA, you took Fresno State. So slapped myself on the wrist for that. Bad, bad, Ryan. Uh, that was bad. Um, this is the first 0 and 3 start since 1971 for your Bruins, Dave. Uh, mm-hmm. Not so, mm-hmm. not so good. And when you watch, Fresno State just looked very comfortable. Like they ran a two point conversion that looked smooth. It's just, they just looked like they were the team in control. And, you know, Chip Kelly said afterwards, like, no one's going to feel sorry for us. Um, I don't know. I mean, it just, it just looked like roles were reversed. It looked like the Power Five team uh, and the, the, you know, Group of Five team were reversed, where the, the group of five team looked very, very comfortable on the road in that kind of environment. You know, they had a tough loss the week before. Thought they might, you know, have a little bit of a hangover. They did not. They they just looked real comfortable to me, Dave. Yeah, it looked like the fundamentally better team in every phase of the game. I mean, there was there was no area where UCLA looked better than Fresno State. Uh, special teams, Fresno State looked better. Offense, Fresno State looked better. Defense, Fresno State looked better. And defense has been what UCLA has been hanging its hat on, but... Um, this was not a good defensive performance either. Yeah, some of these points came off of uh, changeover situations where it was a quick, you know, interception or whatever that changed it over. But uh, the defense looked lethargic and slow-footed to start the game, and then they looked like they kind of gave up there at the end, or at least let off the gas a little bit when uh, UCLA's offense just couldn't get anything done. So, no, in every phase of the game, Fresno State was better. They're they're just a fundamentally better team and you know you could make the argument they're a better program right now uh, given the way the last couple years have gone for both of these squads so I mean UCLA's got a lot to figure out they've got a bye week coming up um, so we're not going to talk about them in the preview section Um, so Chip Kelly's got a lot to figure out here you know one bit of solace for UCLA fans as I was going back through looking at kind of the advanced stats makeup of what Oregon was doing offensively when Chip Kelly took over at head coach in UCLA. Uh, he's got three games under his belt. And those first three games in 2009 were actually pretty similar from an offensive struggle standpoint. The thing was, Oregon was getting a lot more out of their special teams and actually a little bit more out of their defense uh, in 2009 than UCLA's gotten out of either of those at this point. But um, that Oregon offense took off starting in about week five that year. Um, I don't see that on the horizon for this UCLA offense, but, um, I'm sure many observers of Oregon at that time didn't really necessarily see it then either. So maybe, maybe there's a chance it gets better. Um, I think they're playing a lot of youth right now, so there's a chance those guys improve, but right now it does not look good. What about the, uh, the tweets, Dorian Thompson Robinson's dad, which I think he was replying to bros tweets about the game, but what'd you make of that? I, I mean, I, I always think it's, you know, it's tough when you're a parent, um, your emotions get high. I always think it's best for parents to just avoid message boards, avoid commentary on any of this stuff, mostly from their own like kind of self-preservation standpoint, because I can't imagine that dad wants to be talked about in national news today. Um, but he tweets emotionally after a game. I mean, it's the problem with social media. I mean, it sucks. I, I think it's bad for, uh, 
it's you know it's bad for the program it's you know bad for dorian thompson robinson for sure um but i don't take too much from it i just because parents say i mean you know this parents say crazy stuff after every game you know you could win by 30 points but if their kid doesn't get played you know some parents gonna get mad about that um it's just i think social media allows you to very quickly and easily get that emotional outburst out in front of you know millions and millions of people and so it's getting picked up and uh that's not great for ucla not great for the kid not great for the dad so no uh number 12 so that was our number 12 team you had them number 12 also yeah (laughs) oh yeah Uh, number 12 with a bullet (laughs) consensus okay we got that um number 11 team oregon state beavers this is the one i dispute i think they should be 10 I, um, I I agree. So Oregon State, uh, so they lost thirty-seven to thirty-five. They really should have won this game. Um, so the Beavers were down a lot early due to some kind of bad luck. Just not, things not really going their way. A lot of things going wrong. But then they pounded back in this game against Nevada, um, and they had it down late they were and i think this was maybe a mistake um jonathan smith spent the last drive and especially the last couple of plays of the last drive just trying to set up for a game-winning field goal um where you know connor blount blunt god i'm never going to pronounce that name right um he kind of just centers the ball on the final run just trying to get it set up and then um the kicker who'd already missed a kick um Missed this one as well. Um, and it was only a 34 yarder, but I, I, I get the impression he's a young kicker. Um, and they would have won the game 38, 37 at that point. But if you're, if you're an Oregon state fan, I, I kind of, you've got to feel pretty good. I think about the way the program looks right now, um, whatever nitpicky, you know, things you might say about this play call or that decision, they look like they have such a good plan offensively. Um, they scored a ton of points in this one. The offense looked good throughout, despite playing two quarterbacks. Um, you know, the the run game could obviously, you know, do some do, do a little bit more, but a lot of that was sacks. Um, but they're passing it so well. Um, they're going to win some games. They should have won this one. I think they're going to win at least a couple of Pac-12 games. Um, they look just. They look like a real team again. Um, So I I think you've got to be excited about the future. But, yeah, this is a tough loss. Um, They should have had a road win over a over a Mountain West school. And that's that's nothing to sneer at in today's (laughs) Pac-12. Yeah, this was this was a game we got wrong. I think Oregon State was favored by like three and a half. um, So we didn't get this one right. Okay. I agree no, with no, you. No, no, no. Nevada. Nevada was favored by three and a half. So we both got this right. Oh, oh, then I think I messed this up. Then maybe we had an extra. Really? Is yes. That... Nevada minus three and a half. Ah, okay. Well, then I think our picks got a little bit better. I'm going to have to go back and uh, and look at those again because I believe we got those right, right? Let me uh, look. Hold on. Three and one, three and two. Oh yeah, so I was actually four and two. That's not bad. On, okay. the, on the on the picks against the spread. Then okay, then I screwed this up. I assumed Oregon State was uh, was the the uh, the favorite. All right, so I'll, I'll fix that. So we did a little bit what better. What commentary is that, Oregon State? Ryan thought you were favored in a road game. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> Hell yeah. So the, I agree with your assessment, Jonathan Jonathan Smith, and he's doing much better with this team than I thought. Obviously, it'd be great to get a win there uh, on the road. 
they're not going to be good enough yet to go down 30 to seven and come back. Like that's what they were. So they almost were, they almost, they almost were. did, but still like that, that's asking a lot. A lot of things had to go right. And then you got to have something go right at the end. Um, my biggest takeaway from this, Dave, and you see like, you know, Miami started the turnover chain and all this stuff. Oregon state has a turnover chainsaw. So Oregon state beavers, I assume they got that idea from us because of this, because of that drop. What do you think? I think that's right. I think that's only true. That's the only possible explanation, actually. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, man. I mean, Oregon. So I adopt a team every year because UCLA is always terrible. So I have to adopt a team and Colorado. Yeah, but they're almost like too good. Like they're almost like clearly the favorite in the Pac-12 South right now. So it's like eh. Uh, Oregon State might be my, my adopted team this year. I think that's a good pick. I mean, I, you they're know, fun. If, Their offense is fun. Like Jamar Jefferson, he's fun as hell. I like him. If Ryan Nall was back, then for sure, you know, because <laughs> he's awesome. Um, but yeah, that's that. I think that's a good. Uh, I don't. Know, I think that's a good one. Yeah, it'll give me something to do, you know, because I, I don't have any other reason to really watch Oregon State games this year because they don't play UCLA. So it'll give me some reason to you know tune into their games. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk about that. They do have a game this week. We'll talk about um, them coming up a little bit uh, later on. But Dave and I both agree we had them at 10, uh, not 11. The team that consensusly is number 10 is Arizona Wildcats. Arizona got on the win column. Doo, doo, I mean, it came against it came against Southern Utah. But hey, it's a win. Uh, they doubled up Southern Utah, actually, uh, 62-31. I didn't watch a minute of this football game. I don't care what you say about that. I watched a little bit of highlights. Um, Khalil Tate looked better than he has. Um, again, not really running the ball, but uh, threw the ball really, really well against Southern Utah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they did what they should do against a bad FCS team. That's really all there is. So they're not. So I guess that recalibrates a little bit. They're not so bad that they're going to lose at home to a bad FCS school. But this was a game at halftime. Yeah, this game. I was watching the. I was tracking the box score, and I was like, "Wait, could it happen? Could it happen?" But then uh, Arizona poured it on in the second half, and they they squashed those. Uh, I won't call them dreams. I don't want bad things for Arizona, but it was kind of like a, you know, you know, kind of like watching a watching a you know a car wreck. Or like, uh, you know, watching NASCAR and you're just kind of hoping for something bad to happen, which is an awful thing to say. But yeah. like, kind of like that. That's okay. how I was kind of monitoring this box score. Yeah. Um, this was one of those ones with no line. So we picked Arizona. They won. Now, one of the reasons you were kind of hoping for a game, because in the survivor pool picks, I picked Arizona and Chris Fetters picked Arizona. So it was a little dicey there for a while. It was 17 to 17, like right before the half. And I'm following the box score too. I'm like, uh oh, this could be, this could be a bit of a problem. But you know, I think the way the score ended up, um, you know, is, I, I think Arizona wasn't going to be favored by more than 31 points, right? Like they were 0 and 2, so we probably no, they ended up they ended up favored by 20. Okay, so we we would have covered this one. So I feel you know pretty good about it. Like as far as uh, I thought, I really thought they were going to bounce back. It didn't look like they were bouncing back, and then they kind of turned things around and, you know, you saw a little bit better of Tate, but we'll, uh, we don't want to like give anything away, but you know, we'll, maybe we'll have a definitive answer of who's 10 and who's 11, uh, next week because of the game that's coming up. 
Maybe. Um, maybe we will. Great preview, Ryan. Great preview of the preview. <laughs> All right. So if they're number 10, our number nine team is USC Trojans. Now, so now I'm wondering if I really would have had Oregon State at 10 or if I'd had them at nine. Because USC is bad, man. Uh, I, I kept Oregon. I had Oregon State at ten, and I had USC at nine. So I had this, but you're, I, I could have flipped correct. that. I think if I if I was deeply trolling, I could have flipped it. <laughs> I, I'm not going to do it. Um, okay, so this game was weird because uh, Texas ultimately won 37-14, but there was a point in this game where it felt like it might actually go the other way really quickly, and it happened right around when. Okay, my favorite thing about this game, and you did not get treated to this. Because uh, you were in the stadium, but watching on TV, or maybe you did, uh, watching on TV, the ref with this deep Southern accent, just deep. It sounded like pure Texas, just pure Texas. Just announcing every little way that he's currently screwing USC was incredible. <laughs> like that's that that non safety on Sam Ellinger. It was the most clear safety I think I've seen in college football in quite some time. And for them to review it for that long and not call a safety was just that was awesome. Um, <laughs> and that felt like that felt like a real hinge point for the game. I think it kind of just snowballed from there for uh, USC. Maybe they got a little bit demoralized. Maybe their special teams yeah. just decided, hey, we're, we're, we're not going to play football anymore. Uh, but whatever it was, uh, things went just completely south from there. And Texas kind of poured it on. Uh but USC is bad. I mean, the, the offense is atrocious. Um, the run game, negative five total yards rushing. They didn't run the ball nearly enough despite the, I mean, Texas D line did a nice job, but they should have been running the ball way more. And, uh, JT Daniels, can I just say it? And I, I, I'm saying this early on and I'm calling my shot here. Is he the heir apparent to, um, our favorite PAC 12 arm punter, Jake Browning? <laughs> there have been some back, but yeah, he's got a way stronger arm than Jake Browning, though. I mean, is it? But okay, 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 okay. Way stronger. Yes. I mean, are we saying that one ball that Amon St. Ross, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown caught? Um, do you remember that one? The one that like probably went higher than it went longer. Um, that should have been picked off, and that was like pure arm punt territory. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of back. Uh, he's throwing off his back foot quite a bit. Um, if you watch the offensive line, I agree with you. Like this, the first time they've had negative rushing yards since they had, I think it was minus 20 against Arizona in 1999. So you're talking about the, you know, the last, like the last time. <laughs> so three points was 1990. Uh, oh no. Uh, three points was 97. And um, then last time negative, tw negative yards was 99. And the last time you lost uh, two games back to back by double digits was in 2000. So you're talking about these are the, the last time since like Hackett time. So okay, so Pete Carroll's going to be hired next year then, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but you, uh, I watch. So I have to rewatch these and and uh, and check out the offensive line and stuff. And there's always four rushers or five. You know, there's never getting overwhelmed. They always have six or seven blockers, and they all have guys just not block anybody and. I feel bad. You know, JT Daniels, they asked him to throw. He dropped back 51 times in this game in front of the biggest crowd in Texas football history in his third start as an 18-year-old. Like, that's, to me, 
on the coaches. I'm going to hold off on judgment of how good or bad JT Daniels is. They are not putting him in in very good spots. He's still threw for 320 yards. I think it was 30 of 48 or whatever. Um, so, it, I mean, he was out there balling. I don't know who else really was. Uh, it, you know the and and they didn't run the ball. Uh, like, uh, Amon Amon Ross St. Brown. He was balling. Yeah, that was yeah. the two two high school kids basically were balling. They didn't they didn't run the ball. They they ran the ball once on the first drive for like minus three yards. It just play got blown up, and then Stephen Carr had a twenty three yard touchdown run. Then they went eight straight plays without running the ball again. So you've had you had a, the most successful run you've had all night. Obviously, I mean you you would have all night. And then they just got away from it. So I, I don't think you're really helping him out all that much. It was 14 to three. Texas scores 34 un- unanswered points. USC special teams was absolute, just a dumpster fire trash. Um, <laughs> to me, like USC hasn't won a game in Texas since 1996. That was a cotton bowl against Texas Tech. To me, you can't put it all on the quarterback. They're basically treating your, your rookie quarterback as he's Sam Darnold and like, hey, please go out and win the game for us. Cause we don't know what we're doing. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah. They look like, they look like what USC would have looked like. I mean, honestly, it looked like a clay Helton coach team, but you don't have Sam Darnold now. Yeah. Um, and I, so you don't think it was necessarily a good idea to intend to pass on 80% of downs. <laughs> no, you think that you think that was maybe a bad idea in a hostile road environment with a, I mean, that place with, was uh, loud. should be high school senior at quarterback. That place was loud. Cause when I went and watched the, the, the replay, like they were saying all the things I was saying, like, why are they throwing the ball so much? Like, shouldn't they be trying to run the ball? And people like USC fans were like, well, we couldn't run the ball. Like they're tweeting. I'm like, look, they, they ran the ball, you know, like twice in the first, like 20 plays. Yeah. It's like, it, it wasn't established that you couldn't run the ball at that point. You basically are putting it all on the quarterback and and yeah the the officiating was really awful and it was great that the the head referee had a you know a texas accent because it just made it look you know it was, <laughs> it was like, the best home cooking ever because on <laughs> like usc looked bad and they weren't going to win this game anyway probably right. but the fact that it, <laughs> he was just screwing him so hard <laughs> um and then um what I, I one note to take away from this because like i think usc fans and maybe will take solace that they think texas is good texas isn't good no like, they're defense their defensive line, I think, is legitimately good. But Sam Ellinger, I don't know what he was doing on half these plays, but he should have had a couple of picks. Uh, he looked bad. Yeah. Um, and this whole offense, I mean, they're starting like a, a second string Cal run, running back as their starting running back. Like they're not <laughs> they're not great. Um, so for them to do this, I think it's a real indictment of Helton. Um, and so, all right. So uh, is it too early for hot seat watch or are we no, there? No, that's uh I mean, it's going to be tough to do anything during the season again, but there's, I mean, the fans are not happy because it's, you know, those are marquee games. It was really a great trip. Like that's why you love scheduling these kind of games and go check it out. Like I've never been to Texas stadium. I've been to Austin, which I love. The stadium was like immense. It was a huge, yeah, how big huge. it was 103. So it was a record crowd, 103,507. So they had like 102,000, like a year or two ago when Notre Dame came. So even bigger than that. USC fans were, give them credit, they were out in full force. We did a, a happy hour event uh, at a bar on on Friday. I thought like 30 people would show up. We had the bar full. It was probably 250 people came. There was a line out the door in the rain for people to come to this thing. So it was great. Like fans came and that's why I think they get upset because, you know, you don't want to, like if you lose, they'd almost rather lose to like an Oregon State that you shouldn't lose to as opposed to getting blown out by, 
Texas or Notre Dame or things like that. So they, the USC fans want those marquee matchups and Clay Helton's not been delivering them lately. Yep. All right. Uh, so that was our number nine team. Our number eight team, a little bit of a fall for these guys. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> this feels a little low to me. I probably would have had them, I don't know, probably a couple spots higher, but it's fine. I mean, I think there's kind of a clump together middle. Um, so ASU uh, suffered the first loss of the Hermera. We didn't see it coming. It's hard. <sighs> Didn't see this one. It's 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 hard to it's hard to see these things coming. Um, San Diego State won at home, twenty eight twenty one. Watching the game, uh, San Diego State did seem to dominate, just kind of along both lines. Uh, they ran the ball incredibly well. Uh, Fifty eight carries for three hundred and eleven yards. You're not going to win too many games where you give up three hundred yards on the ground. Um, I mean, unless you're playing like a triple option school, but even then, probably not. So if you're looking for something to blame, I would say start with the defensive front for ASU. Um, and then the fact that Arizona State can't run the ball. Um, you know, Benjamin, who we talked about a lot in the preseason, really hasn't done a whole lot. And I think it's partly due to just not great blocking up front and San Diego State's defensive line, which and I think San Diego State's that defense is good. I mean, they were pretty good against Stanford to start the year and they were able to take away Bryce Love. So it's not as if they're not good, but um you know, if you only get 36 yards on the ground and the other team, you know, almost, you know, goes 10 times that, that's probably not going to do you too good. Um, still, ASU had a chance to win this one late. Um, weird targeting situation where uh, Manny Wilkins threw the ball downfield to, I think it was Dar- uh, uh, Frank Darby. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he looked like he came down with it originally, apparently on review. But the review only happened because there was targeting on Darby. And so they eventually upheld the targeting, but then dinged basically said, oh, it's targeting, but the pass was actually incomplete. So we're only going to give you 15 yards here. Um, and I think it's uh, that's unfortunate. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't see all of the replay angles. It looked like a pretty good catch, like just live. Um, but that kind of sucked because they would have been down near the five and instead they had to go from the 35 and it was basically the last play of the game. Um, so, but I, I, this was a game where it would have required a little bit of luck to win there at the end because they just got so dominated on the lines. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, San Diego state dominated the run game. Another game where you're talking about a group of five school versus a power five school. And the group of five school looked like, the more complete team, the more, you know, the, the team that was pushing you around when you can dominate the run game like that. Uh, and then you're talking about in the second half, Arizona state had four straight three and out drives. So if the other team is running the ball well, and you're going three and out a bunch of times in a row, that's not a recipe for success. And I think I thought it was right before the half. Um, I think it was fourth down. They sacked Manny Wilkins and then San Diego state went on to score and tie it. So that was like a huge momentum swing. And like I said, in the second half, the ASU offense kind of sputtered for a while. So there was a chance to win this one at the end, but it just, you know, you, you watch, uh, you know, I, I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but what you get to watch, it just seemed like San Diego state was playing better, you know, playing like the better team. And they're, you know, they, right now, I think they're first in the PAC 12 South. What do you think, Dave? San Diego state. Yeah, I think San Diego State would take it. Um, yeah, no, they've looked. I mean, they they put on a pretty. I mean, the thirty to ten, I think, was the final against Stanford. But I don't think that's a good indication of that game. I thought San Diego State actually held it pretty well for a while there. They just didn't necessarily have the firepower offensively. But 
you get the Aztecs at home. Hey, man, Qualcomm Stadium's no joke, or whatever it's called now. Is it Qualcomm? What is it called? Uh, the Q? Is that what it is? Or Qual- what? The Qualcomm? It might be that, right? That kind of ruins the joke if I don't know the name of it. Because the thing is, <laughs> it is a joke. It's it's a cavernous, awful stadium. But, um, yeah, well, whatever. Not the first time one of my jokes don't land. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we had them. They were eight, right? So that was... Uh, I think we had them eight. Yeah, I think they were eight. Um, I probably would have had them seven or six, but it's fine. Okay, yeah, I I, I think I kept them eight as well. And then we had uh, number seven. Utah Utes. And they took on. Oh, yeah, because we got to do that crap. They, <laughs> they took on our number one, our number two team. Washington State Cougars. <laughs> They nope. definitely didn't take on Washington State, Ryan. They took on Washington Huskies. <laughs> the buttons are right um, next to each other, man. What do you want me to it's, do? It, it's horrible when I'm the more organized of the two of us. <laughs> well, like, you don't have to I've, do anything. You just have to talk. I, to I know, but I had to prompt you. Like, come on, man. <laughs> come on. Um, okay, so this was... Oh, God, this was a defensive struggle fest. Um, so Utah's defense is good. Uh, their offense is non-existent, uh, but their defense is really good. So I want to start with that. Um, you know, I think Washington was able to find some success on the ground, but um, Utah was pretty good at limiting them from scoring in a lot of different points. Um, Washington won 21 to seven, um, beat Utah by 14. Uh, Utah's got to figure out what it's what it's trying to be offensively. Tyler Huntley was not good at all in this game. Um, he also uh, kind of kills his receivers. Uh, doesn't throw it to them in good spots. They get laid out a lot. Britton Covey took a beating in this game. Um, but you know what I want to do here. I want to talk about Jake Browning, and I want to talk about what we will henceforth refer to as the play. Um, uh, it was pretty good. Can, can we just like do an oral history of this at some point? <laughs> because... <laughs> He took a ball and he starts doing his Jake Browning scrambling thing where he suddenly convinces himself that he's like a dual threat. And he does this about once a game, but it's really impressive every time. And he's like turning around. And when he does a spin move, it looks like a battleship turning. Um, But he does a spin move after scrambling back about 10 yards. And he's done nothing to shake the Utah defender who's just chasing after him. And so he's way behind the line of scrimmage now. And he's kind of falling over backwards. And then he just kind of throws the ball really lightly. Like it wouldn't have crossed the line of scrimmage if it had made it that far. But instead, it didn't make it that far. And it landed in the gut of a Utah defensive lineman, big 300 pounder, who then rumbles it down. I mean, this was like the perfect encapsulation of the game. And I think like the real ethos of Utah and Washington, because they're Washington is like pretty good. And then Jake Browning does something like this. And then Utah picks it off. They've got a good defense. And then the defensive lineman just like it just squirts out of his hands at about the seven yard line. And then Utah can't punch it in. They can't punch it in offensively from seven yards out. It was beautiful. The entire sequence of everything was just beautiful. It was poetic. I loved every bit of it. That was, uh, that's what you really felt the momentum was changing there. And just watching yeah. on social media, you were just like, oh, this is where, and wait, Utah can't score? Like, how is this, <laughs> how is this possible? I, I, I mean, it just, somehow that sequence worked out for Washington, but it kind of made both teams look 
Like give you less confidence in both teams. You know what I mean? To, to have a senior, I, mean, I I cannot get over this, to have a senior quarterback making that play. It was the equivalent of, remember that Jameis Winston thing where he like slipped? I think this was in like the national title game maybe, or it was in the playoff that year where he slips down and then just kind of tosses the ball up and it gets picked off for, an inter- for a touchdown. Yeah, it yeah. It was exactly like that. If you have not seen this play, go go watch it. It's incredible. It's yeah. truly incredible. Yeah. All I wrote about that play is it was bad. It should have been, you know, it could have been a pick six, right? Um, yeah. Oh, it should have been. It yeah. should have been. It should have been. It should have been a full Peisman trophy. But they, they still, Utah screws that up somehow. Miles Gaskin, 30 carries, 143 yards, touchdown. He's, that's pretty much him, right? Like that's what he does. Um, yes. Chris Peterson came out and said it was a hard place to win. It was a good team we went against. And, uh, you know, he thought the offense started out fast and got some breathing room, which I agree with. It seemed like Washington did come out the better team early, and then it just became this kind of like it was almost like it was it was in like a rainstorm or mud, and you just couldn't do much after that. So like Washington kind of got it when the getting was good, and then there wasn't any more good getting any. <laughs> they didn't really do anything. Um, Utah had guess how many plays they had over twenty yards, Dave? How many, Ryan? One. One play over 20 yards. That's not going to get it done. They turned the ball over three times. So this was a great, you know, great performance by the Washington defense, especially you get a sudden change like that where you're you know inside your own 10 and uh, you don't give up any points. So I don't know. Uh, that's uh, that's some bad news for for Washington, you know, Troy Taylor, second season as the offensive coordinator, you got to get a better, get a, do a better job at home. And I thought they would a better job at home against Washington. I think this was one we got wrong, right? Like this was, yeah, we thought Utah, you, you had Utah to win. I had them to cover and it was like Washington minus six and, six and, a, half. and a half. Yeah. So we both picked Utah on this one uh, and we're not, not correct. Oh, we didn't mention the USC game. Yes. We both picked uh, Texas. And we got that right. Texas was favored by uh, three and a half. Yep. So that was one with the spread. We did get right. Uh, for Arizona State, we got that wrong. Uh, we both picked Arizona State. And they were favored in that game. Um, and, and and did not win. <laughs> did not. Did not win. <laughs> and, okay. So that was, so Utah was number seven. And then Washington, like I said, number two. Uh, going up to number six. California Golden Bears. <laughs> Okay, so Cal won 45-23 over Idaho State, which you might think, oh, ho-hum. They didn't really, you know, you know, they didn't really hold that Idaho State team down. Uh, this was mostly junk time. Um, Idaho State uh, put together 14 points in the, sec- in the fourth quarter when this game was wildly over. Um, Cal's defense is legit. Um, they, even with kind of the junk time let off, uh, they allowed 3.1 yards per rush, uh, 7.8 yards per pass attempt. Um, and that was basically just kind of laying off the gas at the end of the game. They've done that actually in a, quite a few of their games. Um, I think that might be part of the strategy. And if so, I would go away from it because um, they did it against BYU too. Um, their defense is good. It's good enough to trust and good enough to trust to keep aggressive throughout an entire game. Um, they had this one 28-3 at the half. Uh, it was over at that point. Chase Garbers appears to be solidifying the starting quarterback job. Um, he was in there for 25 throws. Brandon McElwain only played for seven throws. 
Uh, both of these guys are running quite a bit, um, and that seems to have jump-started the rushing attack a little bit in this one. Uh, if you remember last week, it was basically all QB runs. This week, uh, you know, Marcel Dancy was able to create a little bit on the ground. Uh, Chris Brown was able to create a little bit on the ground. Patrick Laird just hasn't done a whole lot no, this year. No, he's been really 11, quiet. Yeah, 11 carries for 22 yards uh, against Idaho State. That's not good. Um, but... They're doing enough. They're getting a little bit together offensively, um, but Cal's obviously going to lean on its defense this year. They're, I think they're a good team. Um, I think they're kind of similar to Utah, actually, where offense is maybe going to be a little bit of a struggle fest, but um, defensively they can they can hang with anybody. Yeah, this is a little surprised at the way the offense has kind of struggled, and maybe it was just you know you're figuring out the three quarterbacks, but you know your stars from last year, you know Ross Bowers is not playing, you know, and uh, Patrick Laird is hardly done anything. He's not really been involved. They're getting other guys into it. And uh, I thought Garbers uh, looked really good. I think he had three touchdowns in this pass. He looked sharp to me. Uh, Cal leads the nation with seven interceptions. So that's, uh, that's pretty good. They did have 11 penalties for 111 yards. I think they were better disciplined if I'm not, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, the first couple games. So, uh, try to figure that out a little bit, but you know, starting off three and zero, it's the the Ryan Gorsey dream is alive still. We're going to keep moving forward, you know, um, moving forward with that. But I, really good defensive team. I think they're going to give some people some troubles, and if they can figure things out, and you know, Bo, ba- Bo Baldwin's a, a great offensive mind. If they can figure some things out and get it rolling on offense too, uh, they they could be a nightmare for almost anyone on their schedule in Pac-12 play. They're a quarter of the way there to the Gorsey dream. Yeah. Uh, it could be good. Um, this one. So yeah, I think we got this one right. Right. But there was no, I don't think there no was line. a line on this one. Yeah. I think so. it was like, ended up being like Cal 30 by minus 35. Okay. So they wouldn't have ended up covering this one. Um, yeah. I don't know if I would have taken Cal 35. I don't think I would have, but right. So like, you're thinking about it. like the other ones, like you probably would have, but, um, okay. So we're in our top half. That was number six. Uh, our number five team, I erroneously played their, Music before Washington State Cougars. For once, Washington State handled an FCS school at home. Uh, Washington State beat Eastern Washington 59 24. Uh, all this did was confirm to me that Washington State did not drop off at all uh, from where it was last year and where it was the previous couple of years. Um, Defensively, they were pretty good, again, against what can be a kind of tricky Eastern Washington team. Um, altogether, nothing too bad. And offensively, this was the first, like, real uh, air raid quarterback day for Washington State uh, for Gardner Minshew. Um, he had, uh, let's look, 57 attempts for 470 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Um, I always love it because it's always like, wow, they threw the ball so much. They got so much yardage, and then it's like two touchdowns. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they they converted on runs, uh, but it was like it was such an air raid day. They only had 41 total yards on 15 carries, uh, but four touchdowns. Um, so they were converting um, just on kind of short yardage when they got down in there. Um, but I don't know. This was a good. I mean, how much can you take away from ever beating an FCS school? But this is a you know, uh, as far as FCS programs go, Eastern Washington is in that top tier. So beating them by 35 at home. Um, the line on this one was like Washington state minus 19 or something like that. So they beat the P out of them. And that's, that's respectable. Um, they poured on a lot in the fourth quarter, but 
this was this was a a, a nice win um, and nothing to be sneezed at. Yeah, I think we would have got this one right too. I think we would have taken Washington State with the yeah minus nineteen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they 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 covered that easily. The, uh, you know, one good takeaway, like obviously you said, four hundred seventy yards for Minshew. Uh, I mean, that was air raid, air raid, air raid. This was the first passing touchdown that the defense has given up this year against Eastern Washington. And if you remember, now they haven't played anyone great yet, but if you remember, you know, losing and like playing against Eastern Washington before when they lost, it was a couple of years ago. They took this like gut punch in the third quarter. Like Eastern Washington just came out and like gangbusters. They started to do that again. Like Washington State dominated the first half and Eastern Washington had a really good third quarter and they got some momentum going, but Washington State was able to, you know, stem that and and go forward and just kind of, you know, finish off pretty strong and 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 end the you know any end any kind of threat that Eastern Washington had of coming back. So I thought that showed some you know fortitude there. Uh, we've seen them lose these games before. Uh, they didn't lose this one. All the turmoil going on, all the offseason stuff. You know where Leach could have left and uh, you know all everything. And now like they're looking pretty good. And they got a short week to get ready. We'll talk about that, you know, to, to open, open conference play against a reeling team. They win that game, and it's a, it's a different story. This team could really get going. They got two Pac-12 South teams and then at Oregon State before their bye week. Like, you're looking at that? Like, that's they could be 6-0 going to their bye, Dave. Yeah, it would not be shocking. I mean, they, they have not dropped off. I'm, I'm pretty impressed so far. Yeah. Um, all right, this is the the clearly the best team uh, in, in the Pac-12 South. Colorado Buffaloes. Outside of San Diego State, you mean? Right, yes. Right. Um, all right, so Colorado took care of business, uh, beat up on New Hampshire at home, 45-14. It wasn't even as close as that final score appears. Um, seven of those New Hampshire points were off of a pick six by the backup Colorado quarterback, Sam Neuer. Uh, when he like basically the first drive when he came in, uh, he just immediately threw a pick six um, when <laughs> this game was, I guess, competitive, quote unquote competitive. Uh, it was all Colorado. Uh, they beat the hell out of New Hampshire in the first half. Um, Steven Montez was mostly efficient and good. He threw a pick, but I mean, he was 14 of 19 for 166 yards and then basically didn't play after that. Uh, Colorado just started running the ball. Trayvon McMillan uh, had one huge long touchdown, uh, 75 yards. Uh, but Bo Bishop also had a nice long carry. I don't think he has necessarily the deep speed to get all the way to the end zone because he got tripped up. Uh, it was like about the 20. Uh, but if McMillian had been taking that ball, he probably would have taken it to the end zone. Um, so they're they're explosive. Uh, LaVisca Chenault was I, he also didn't play most of the second half. But in the first half, he had five catches for 67 yards and a touchdown. So um, he's really good. Uh, they were without. um I'm spacing on the name, but Tony Brown uh, was the leading receiver on the day with five carry five catches for 80 yards. Um, and he looked pretty good too. Uh, this Colorado team looks good. Um, and I thought defensively they were, they were pretty sharp as well. They, they stopped the run really well against New Hampshire. Now, obviously it's New Hampshire. I don't even know what they're like in FCS. I think they're pretty bad, um, but they, they, I mean, they, they did well. They did exactly what they needed to do. And um, yeah, they closed out non-conference play three and O, which is not something at all that I had them doing. So that's pretty cool. Uh, was it Juwan Winfrey that was out? Was he? Yes. Okay. Yes. That was the name I was forgetting. Okay. Yeah. Tony Brown got a kind of an increased role because of that. Yeah. So there, yeah, like you said, there was like some late scores by New Hampshire, but this was, 
just kind of in control. It wasn't you have to do anything crazy. I don't think New Hampshire is a very good program. I don't think we get a whole lot out of this game. Um, did, did, was there end up being a line for this one or no? Did they just never put one up? It was Colorado by 30 something. It might've been 31. So it might've been dead on. Nice. So it was pretty close. Um, like you said, three and zero to start the season. Wasn't really sure the resurgence of this Colorado offense is going to be something fun to watch. Once you get the pack to a play, can they keep it up uh, against some of the teams? They, you know, they got a couple of pack. You know, was it three pack 12 South games in a row? So we'll know a lot more about Colorado. They got a bye week now, so they're going to, you know, figure things out heading into conference play um, for these Buffaloes. So we'll see. But, I, you know, being 3-0 and at this point for Colorado, you got to take it. And uh, is this the year they, they go back and win the South again? I don't know. But they, they got a shot. They're looking like the best so far of the group, would you say? Yeah, I, I would say so. And actually, if we're going back to our power rankings, I would have them probably one spot higher. I think I'd have them at number three right now. I put them, I actually put them at number three uh, also. So this is, I had, so I had five, I had Oregon and then four, I had uh, California, but in our poll at number four, um, we have Oregon Ducks. I'm sorry. Number that's number three. Yeah. Right. And the reason we have them maybe a little bit lower is because this was a weird game against San Jose State. Uh, San Jose State's really bad. Like They're worse than some FCS programs, even though they're FBS. Um, and Oregon only beat them by th- by 13 at home. Um, they were favored by 41 in this game. Um, and it was weird. I mean, Oregon wasn't really able to get much going on the ground. Um, and when you look at this, this list of running backs, you just expect better. You know, Tony Brooks, James, Travis Dye, Darian Felix, Taj Griffin. Like you're expecting more out of that group. Uh, CJ Verdell. I mean, you're expecting them to run all over a team like San Jose State. And instead it was 49 carries for 134 yards. That's a 2.7 yard average. Um, So I I don't know what to make of that. Justin Herbert also wasn't sharp. It just was not a day where the offense was clicking at all. Uh, um, He threw a couple of picks. uh, It was under 50 percent passing. Um so I don't know entirely what to make of Oregon's kind of new pistol look at this point. Um, defensively, they were good. Um, you know, this was never a game where I thought San Jose State had a real chance of winning. Um, you know, they, they kind of just kept scoring to keep it in that like 10 point range for a long, long time. Um, but the defense did a nice job. I mean, they held San Jose State to uh, clean one yard per carry. Um, and, uh, and you know, they got the, got a couple of turnovers, but, um, offensively, I think, you know, we, we just don't know how, how much to base any of this because it could just be a bad game. Um, and Oregon did do a nice job of beating up on Portland state and Bowling Green earlier on, but none of that is good competition. Um, so we're walking into, and not to preview the preview, but we're walking into a game this week against Stanford where we know, I think, a, quite a bit now about Stanford. I don't know anything really about Oregon. Yeah. Except that the defense looks pretty good. Yeah. They look better. Um, this was, yeah, it was like a 41 and a half points, but we both took San Jose State. So we got this one uh, correct. Do you know what the longest run Oregon had in this game was? Mm, no nine yards nine yards was the longest run so. and explosive plays are somewhat luck like sometimes it's just you know did you break a did you break one but the fact that they were also not super uh efficient 
and not, you know, I, I would, I, I'm sure our man Hifaday is going to break it down. I'd love to see the success rate for Oregon's rushing attack in this one because I can't imagine it was good. No. Um, but I haven't crunched those numbers myself. But um, when you're not explosive and you're also not efficient, that's, yeah. Yeah, no bueno. Now they did have thirteen. They have had. They've had thirteen different players score a touchdown this season. So that's the most in FBS. So it's spread around a little bit. Mario Cristobal afterwards, he was certainly not satisfied. He said he wasn't content. Um, He didn't feel like the players were fired up. The good thing though is that when you have like these learning, you know, teachable moments, you can learn from your mistakes and still get a win. Uh, You know, you don't have the lot. Some a lot of times you're learning because you lose. This is one of those learning experiences, but they still end up getting a win. It wasn't an impressive win, but whatever. You got a win over a pretty bad. I mean, we've seen them like what three weeks in a row they played Pac-12 teams and or uh, two two or three, and uh, they've been they've been really bad. What if you watch though? I mean, the run game wasn't working. Receivers were pretty much wide open. There wasn't a lot of pressure on Justin Herbert. I'm just not sure if you're going to get that going forward. So if you can't run the ball, Dave. And then you're going to have to hit tighter windows and it's not going to be as easy in the passing game. You could see some slip-ups from this Oregon team. So they're going to have to fix some stuff there. Uh, competition's obviously going to get uh, a lot, you know, a lot tougher going forward. Yeah. And, you know, some of that might be just kind of a newish look offense. They are doing a lot more pistol this year than they did last year. So, you know, some hiccups are to be expected. You just, and you know, it's San Jose state. They could very well have just not been super focused for the game. There could be so many different things. So I'm not, that's the thing. I just can't take a whole lot from anything they've done to this point. I'm not going to overcorrect and say they can't run the ball now, but I'm also not going to say, Oh, because they put up a bunch of points on Bowling green and Portland state that, you know, this offense is gangbusters. Um, We'll know a lot more after this weekend. We will. Uh, Okay. So our number two team, we already mentioned Washington. That means, Again in the power rankings. I had them this way too. I don't know if you did, Dave. Stanford Cardinal. Yeah, they're definitely here until they uh, do something to deserve getting knocked out. Um, they almost did uh, at the beginning of this game. Uh, <laughs> KJ, the, I, I screenshotted it and tweeted it out, but the opening like quarter for Stanford was ugly. Uh, KJ Costello threw a couple of picks and I think the first two, maybe three drives. Um, and UT, UC Davis has a couple of players like they've got a couple of guys. Keelan Doss is a Pac-12 level receiver, 100 um, percent. And they were targeting him on basically every single play. Um, and UC Davis was able to do some things. Um, they just, you know, they just don't have the cross the board talent to really contend with a, you know, major Pac-12 school. But when Stanford is sleepwalking at the beginning of this game, yeah, they 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 made it look interesting for just a second there. Uh, Stanford got it going. Uh, they were without Bryce Love for this one, who was who's nursing some kind of injury. Um, but Trevor Spates was actually, you know, really interesting. Um, I thought uh, running the ball. Um, he looked explosive. He looked quick. He looked fast. Um, so there was a lot to like there. I've never been that impressed with Cameron Scarlett. Um, he just looks kind of slow and upright. Um, you know, not necessarily the most dynamic player. Um, but Trevor Spates, I think he might have, uh, you know elevated himself in the backup conversation there. Oh, um, it, it, he, he definitely looked like he has a little bit more dynamicism to him. Um, and then throwing the ball, Cajun Casella was fine after those first couple of picks. Uh, again, Stanford's receivers are all big dudes who can catch the ball and box people out. JJ Arcega white Whiteside had a couple of those basketball plays in the end zone that people like to talk about. And Caden Smith uh, got going in the past game as well. But 
Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot to like about Stanford. Uh, defensively, they more or less shut UC Davis down after kind of a nice little opening drive. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it was a Stanford win. They won 30-10 to 10 at home against UC Davis. Kind of ho-hum, but um, I think once they fully get their running game going, which I expect to happen, uh, I think the Stanford team's going to be tough to beat. This was kind of a sandwichy game. Um, you know, you got USC on one side and then Oregon and, you know, two road games, Oregon and Notre Dame, uh, Utah, I guess, after that. Um, and it was an 11 a.m. start local. Uh, they looked kind of shaky. Didn't have Bryce Love out there. I think Costello threw a couple of picks. It wasn't pretty, um, but it worked. And, you know, you kind of could see this happening. Like the students aren't there yet. Uh, I didn't get to see what, you know, I didn't get to hear what kind of environment it was, but I'm imagining 11 a.m., uh, you know, a home game at Stanford Stadium against UC Davis. It's it wasn't going to be. I mean, was it like just a, roaring crowds, yeah, thunderous, like a thunderous third noise. full or something? I mean, I don't maybe, know. Maybe that. Yeah, it would. Uh, that that's not ideal. So I I get the slow start. I mean, I don't take much from it. Um, this was one of those no line games too. Do you do you know what the line ended up being or? Um, I I looked at one time. I think I mean Stanford did not cover. It was definitely more than twenty. Okay. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, in, we don't like Stanford covering big lines usually. Anyway, um, I don't know. What I probably would have taken them just because I don't know anything about UC Davis, and I don't think UC Davis is actually that good this year. But yeah, probably not. Um, you know, David Shaw is kind of standard. Like we're going to still keep growing after the game, um, or we're still growing. So that's. It just, I don't think you can put a whole lot into this. It was, uh, that I don't think Stanford put a lot into this. I don't think we should either. Um, we'll know a lot more. They got a cut, you know, a couple, two, three tough games coming up in a row. So, uh, Stanford could make a stamp on college football, uh, if they go into their bye week six and oh, like that would be pretty impressive. And they would be much better than I thought they were. All that. Offensive firepower coming back um, would be obviously yielding some fruit because if they can go 6-0 with that schedule, that'd be pretty impressive. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about betting lines, Ryan, and who we might pick in a particular game based on a particular betting line. Yes. Do you know that BetDSI.com has been paying winners for 20 years? Awesome. They are top-rated on many betting review sites, you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash. Uh, it's really easy. You go online or use their mobile site. Uh, they've got the fastest payouts in the industry. You can play, win, and get paid. And you can bet on pretty much anything. You can bet on football, bet on all other major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. Do you bet a lot on esports, Ryan? You seem like an esports kind of guy. I've never bet on esports, but that would be... That- That'd be an ultimate degenerate move, I think. That'd be awesome. That, w- that would be sweet. <laughs> You're just betting on like a Madden <laughs> tournament. Um, you can try live betting at BetDSI where you can bet on every play, every drive, and every score until the final whistle blows. Imagine doing, like, imagine that. Just sitting there and being like, you know what? I think this play is going to go for six plus yards and betting on that. That's, that's, that's fun. Um, you can use promo code CHAMP18, that's C-H-A-M-P-1-8, uh, first time bet- deposits on betdsi.com get a hundred percent bonus match on your money up to five hundred dollars. Um, once again, go to betdsi.com and use promo code CHAMP18 and get this limited time a hundred percent bonus up to five hundred dollars. It's only a game until you bet it at betdsi. Nice, awesome. That's 
that's that's perfect sponsor for us with the, all the the bet. We talk about betting the whole time. Like that's basically our whole show. We are. You can just take our picks. No, we're not doing that. We're not. We're not. We're strongly recommending you don't bet with our with our picks. But but they've been we're good. Doing pretty well. We're doing pretty well through a couple of weeks of the season. Yeah, we have so updated. Uh, I'm twenty two nine and three against the spread, and you are twenty three eight and three against the spread. So we are doing very very well. Uh, but now it's the nitty gritty, Dave. Now there's only four games to preview. This is going to make our survivor pool much more interesting, and it's going to. Uh, make our picks much more interesting. There's fewer picks, but these are all going to be very competitive games. So this should be fun. I'm excited. So we're going to start off. We have one Friday game this week. We have Washington State Cougars on the road at USC Trojans. 7.30 p.m. on ESPN. Washington State taking on USC in the Coliseum. USC is favored by just four points. What do you think this game was set at preseason? Like, I'm guessing it was USC by a couple of touchdowns. I would guess. And I, I think it opened at four and a half. And I think it's come down to even maybe three and a half in some spots. So I don't. So when I'm looking at this game, I don't love it as a matchup for Washington State's offense. Um, I, I just I think USC's secondary is pretty good. I think the defense in general is pretty good. So I'm having a tough time with watching State scoring a whole bunch. But I'm also having a hard time with USC scoring a whole lot against Washington State. That defense is pretty good. Um, USC minus four. Uh, I'm going to take USC. I'm not going to feel great about it, but I'm going to figure after a couple of losses on the road, getting back to the Coliseum, they're ready to avoid that three-game losing streak, and they're able to kind of let their talent show a little bit. Uh, But I think this is going to be a little bit of a defensive slugfest. I don't think there's going to be a lot of scoring in this game. So USC is 0-3 against the spread this year. I believe it's 3-17-1 in their last... 20, it was, I think that's the number. It's something like that. If it's not that, it's something really, really bad. I'm gonna. I'm in my mode. I I screwed up week two and picked them to cover against Stanford or win against Stanford. I'm not doing that again. I'm taking Washington State and those points for sure. No questions asked. Here's what the <laughs> here's the problem. Uh, the biggest thing, like USC's got to figure some stuff out. Uh, they they came back. They practiced They're practicing on a short week after. You know, two double-digit losses in a row. They didn't even practice in full pads yesterday, Dave. So they basically their Monday practice was supposed to be Tuesday practice because, but they have to move it up. Um, normally Tuesday's a full practice, full pads practice. They didn't even go full pads that first day. So t- that's telling me, and and Clay Allen said that's like the best practice they've had forever. That's telling me the mindset is still isn't right. They haven't changed what they need to change. So, and I think Washington State's kind of undersized, but um, defensive front that you just don't know where it's coming from. USC has been so susceptible to that. Like there's, you'd see like bigger, stronger guys standing around, not blocking anybody. I think that's going to happen too. So I think they're going to struggle some run game stuff. I think they're going to try to run more because there was a lot of criticism about running football. I just think Washington state is going to cover the spread. So maybe USC wins a close one, but four points. That's plenty for me. Give me the Cougs. If you had to pick a winner, who are you picking right now? 
Um, I mean, it's close. Like, I think it's pretty tight. Um, I could see it kind of going either way being close, but, uh, I've, I'll, I'll go Washington state. Hell yeah. I don't have a, Hell lot, yeah. I don't have a lot of faith. Uh, well, you know, league. me longtime USC Homer. I just think they're going to make their way back. They're going to yeah. make their way back to, uh, being able to beat Washington state by like five points at home. I think this is a lot to Washington state looks better, um, than we thought. And that's just a lot to ask these guys to come back. And uh, I just, maybe they'll do something different in practice today, but I just didn't see like, I wanted to see some, some bigger changes, you know, and uh, they they didn't really do that. I get that. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Sometimes it's just like you're closer to the program. You know more about it and you just don't see a lot of uh, positives. (laughs) All right. Uh, This one, the battle for 10th and 11th, we have Arizona Wildcats. On the road in Corvallis to take on Oregon State Beavers. 1 p.m. Pac-12 Network, Arizona on the road, taking on Oregon State. Arizona's favored minus six and a half. I'm taking Oregon State not only to cover that, but to win. Uh, They have looked better than Arizona in every single game this year. Uh, Oregon State's looked more competitive. Uh, Even in losing to Nevada, I thought they looked better um, than Arizona's looked in basically any game this year. So uh, give me Oregon State. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to get their first Pac-12 win in quite some time. Wait, so Arizona's favored? Arizona's favored by almost a touchdown on the road. Arizona is favored. Yes. In this game. Yes. In this football contest. On the road. Yes. 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 In Corvallis. Have they like not like not like a fun and easy place to get to either. Have they seen Arizona play football this year? I don't know. I can't imagine that's that's a thing that has happened for many of these odds makers because this is insane. This yeah. is an insane line. Yes. Give me all those points. Like Dave likes to say, those moist points. Is that what you... Is that what you <laughs> those moist, juicy <laughs> points. Uh, yeah. I mean, am I going to be shocked if Arizona goes up there and wins by 14? Like, I wouldn't be shocked. But just what we've seen so far, I don't think I could justify, you know, if I'm going to bet DSI, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to, I could not justify putting money down on Arizona to win by six and a half points there. So I would feel pretty good. Even if I lost taking Oregon state in those points, that's a team that looks like they're, they're going in the right direction. Now maybe Arizona's turning it around, but uh haven't seen a whole lot of that yet. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm bet DSIing all over Oregon state in this one. Okay. Uh All right. So this is, uh I don't know what this is like, Pretty big, I guess you could say, Dave. We have <laughs> the our number one team in the power ranking. Stanford Cardinal. On the road, taking on our number three team, I believe it was. Oregon Ducks. It's ranked on ranked. Uh, 5 p.m. on ABC. This is game day, I believe. Uh, number seven, Stanford on the road at number 20, Oregon. Uh, this line opened as Oregon minus one. It has since moved to Stanford minus one and a half, which is, I think, probably the proper thing. As I said up top, I don't know what to make of Oregon yet. Uh, we just haven't seen them against real competition. I've watched Stanford in every game this year, and I still think they're ironing out some kinks with their running game. I don't think their defense is elite, just pretty good. Um, but I like Stanford's passing attack when they get going, um, and I think their defense is good enough. Uh, Oregon's defense is going to be yet another team that'll give Stanford's running game fits, but 
Um, I think I like Stanford's ability to get the ball to its big receivers more than I like anything about Oregon. Um, so I'll take Stanford to cover this and win. I will do the same. So it's, this is Oregon favored by one. I mean, um, Stanford favored by one and a half, right? Yes. So Oregon plus 1.5. Essentially a pick em. Um, I don't think that's going to matter all that much. The fact that Oregon really has struggled to run the football, and we've seen Stanford do some pretty good things in in their run defense, despite you know losing guys like Harrison Phillips and stuff. Um, I just think Stanford seems like the more complete team right now. Um, you know, maybe Oregon bounces back. You can, you know, that can happen where you you go into Austin and you get blitzkrieg. You just ha- you know just everything. Ha- but I just kind of feel like Stanford's going to be able to handle that. If it was some bigger number, I really wouldn't feel that confident. But the fact that it's basically a pick them. Uh, I think Stanford's going to take care uh, of business here. Now, if not, it's a huge statement by Oregon and all the, you know, the, the cream puff first three games they played won't matter all that much. Um, and if it's, and if Stanford does lose, it's uh, it's tough. Cause you got to go back on the road again to Notre Dame. And then they're going to have a home game against Utah before the bye week So really important for, for both of these schools, uh, you know, Oregon's going to get, um, they get the Bay Area schools back to back, go on the road uh, to a, a good defensive team in Cal. Then they have their bye week. So this is a huge one, obviously. Um, but I, I'm going to go with you, Dave. I think uh, I think Stanford's going to take care of business in this one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, and then our last only four games, which is crazy. Uh, the last game on the the docket is Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> On the road, taking on Jake Browning and Washington Huskies. One of those late night ESPN games that Chris Peterson loves so much. 7.30 p.m. on ESPN, Arizona State traveling to number 10, Washington. Bit of a revenge spot for Washington after losing last year on the road in Tempe. Washington is favored by 18 full points uh, against the fight in Herms. Them's a lot of points. Um but we did just see Arizona State give up like 300 yards on the ground to San Diego State. Now, San Diego State has maybe even a better rushing attack or eh, more commitment to their rushing attack than Washington. Uh, gosh, 18 points is a lot. Um, Arizona State, they've played some close games. They blew out UTSA, but they, they were very close with Michigan State. Pretty close with San Diego State. Uh, I'll take Arizona State not feeling great about it, but I'll take them plus 18. Um, you know, maybe they keep it to like a two touchdown loss. Uh, I don't think they have much chance of winning this game, uh, even if Jake Browning goes out there and has like a Browning game. Um, I just think Washington's just clearly better on the lines again. Uh, but I think Arizona State might be able to keep it close. Manny Wilkins might be able to hit some stuff downfield than Nikhil Harry, even against that really good Washington secondary. Um, and defensively, maybe they're able to slow down Gaskin a little bit. Maybe. Uh, um, God, the more I talk about it, the more I'm thinking Washington minus 18. But I'm going to stick with my initial gut and go Arizona State plus the points. Yeah, my gut's the same way, too. I think maybe the Herm effect is coming in here. And usually after I pick a team and they don't cover, um, I'm, I'm kind of off them. But I'm not going to punish Arizona State for losing on the road at San Diego State. Now, it's tough to bounce back. And go on the road again and going to be a tough environment uh, against Washington, who already got a great win on the road the week before uh, at Utah. But I kind of feel, Dave, that this is going to be an Arizona State team 
that will be in games, but maybe not necessarily win as many of them. And I, I kind of feel like 18 is just too much that 14 points, you know, reasonable, but you know, they might lose this one by a touchdown or something, which is fine. I kind of feel like they'll be in the game, just not win the game. And when you got Manny Wilkins and the kill Harry, and I think that improved, uh, you know, Benjamin running the football, uh, I, I feel like they're going to do a little bit better than, than people think. You're going to be down on them. Maybe you're getting hit a little bit too hard because of the the loss at San Diego State. So I like Washington to win, but probably closer than than what the spread's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. All right, should we get to some questions? Yeah, well, we got to do our, our survivor pool picks too. Oh, right. God, we forgot about that last week. Um, um, so now this got- is different, right? So now you've got... Yeah. These are, this is when like you have to pick. And so I'll kind of go through Dave, you've picked USC, Washington state and Cal. I picked Arizona state, Oregon state and Arizona. So Mm -hmm. of the teams left, who would you like to pick? Washington. You'd like to take Washington. Okay. So that's the biggest spread. This is a tough spot because really all the other games are close. Um, do you want to use your Washington here? I, th- I think I kind of have to, I think I'm going to go with Washington as well. Um, yeah. the only one I, I, I couldn't pick. So we fail. Oregon state was going to win. Uh, I've already picked what I picked. Uh, I picked Arizona. I picked Oregon state and I picked Arizona state. So I can't, I can't even pick that one game. Um, and Washington State, USC, don't feel great about that. Or Stanford, Oregon, I mean, don't feel great about that. Okay, so I think the only choice here is Washington. Yeah, I think that's it's the only possible choice, yes. So I, I'm guessing our other uh, our other guys, so Adam Munster-Tiger, uh, Jason Shear, and Fetters, no one of them have picked Washington yet. So most likely it's going to be a, a clean sweep uh, yeah. of Washington, I would guess. But we'll we'll email them and get our picks and stuff for that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so should we jump into questions? Yeah, so we start with the Trex message. Uh, this is from Brian from Livermore. So, watching the USC game, Darnold covered so many of USC's faults. What do you think USC can realistically achieve in this conference, knowing that the playoffs are basically out of contention? Okay, so he wants that to be the first question. Uh, I mean, the... the I still think they're alive in the South. I mean, it's uh, nobody has run away from this, run away with this yet. Colorado hasn't played a game in conference play yet. Um, Utah, their defense is legit, but their offense looks like butt. Um, ASU clearly has some problems on the line line of scrimmage. I mean, USC has the talent still to win the South if yeah. they get their heads right. But is that going to happen? I doubt it. But I think if they if they suddenly had a transformation in terms of leadership, I think they could win the South. Yeah. No, completely. I mean, they're talented enough to do it. They couldn't, you know, it, that's the thing. And that's the danger. Like if you're a USC fan that, that I mean, you could argue that happened in 2016. They kind of went through the crappy South and, and won, you know, all in all the games, they beat Colorado who ended up winning the South that, that year. And then they ended up going to the Rose bowl and they won a crazy game against uh, Penn state. But um, I'm not saying that's going to happen again but it's certainly they're capable of doing that. I mean, they're talented enough to do it, but what I've seen so far, I don't think they're going to do it. They just need interim coach uh, Ed Orgeron to show up. Um, All right. Secondly, with game day going to Eugene for Oregon and Stanford, an Oregon alumni who knows 
that we haven't really played anybody. What do you think the odds are that Oregon pulls out the win, knowing that we have an Alabama pedigree and could potentially and could potentially get out in front of the Cardinal? The Cardinal have yet to fall behind early, and I think they may struggle if they do. So, which Herbert could easily put them in the stranglehold. Um, That's the best shot, I, mean, I think. Is that that you got to come out yeah. and jump on them? Because um, Stanford because they've started slow. They've started slow. A lot of games Stanford has. Yeah, uh, but they'll you know they get the lead and they just kind of like. It's like a sleeper hold, and they're just you know they're content and just to to run you down and wear you out. And so if you make them play from behind, it's a completely different team. So the the beginning part of that game is going to be really important to me. I still think Stanford's going to win that one, but you know that's how you do it. If you're an Oregon fan, you jump all over them early, and uh, Herbert going nuts, and then you make Stanford play a different game. So I don't know actually this year. I think Stanford actually has more ability than David Shaw even thinks to play from behind because I really am impressed by that passing attack. I think KJ Costello is better than Shaw gives him credit for, and I think those receivers are better than they give uh, than Shaw gives him credit yeah. for. And they are so good at converting that um, I, I think Stanford's really good. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see if that matches my expectations once they get into the meat of Pac-12 play. Um, They're better than I thought, um, and. It- but this this would be one to watch. Don't miss this one. And then he also asks, uh, not if this mean, not sure if this means anything, but what the hell does the measurements of a player on Texas mean in terms of physicality? Because there are some freaks of nature in terms of physical measurements. Can't do anything with it. A la UCLA. Better question for the teams that are still in contention. Who has the best team with the best average measurements to compete at the highest levels to make this CFP? I have no idea. I've is he asking who has the best measurables? Like just I mean, like Alabama's the guys- probably a bunch of big dudes. Yeah, like the guys that are coming off the bus, what they look like. Um, Texas, there were in some the Pac-12. I know it sounded like in the Pac-12, but um, yeah, I mean, in I USC? still think I think Washington or Stanford still have the best shot at making the playoff. And I don't know, you know, you could argue USC with some of the guys. Like, there's there's a lot of athletes. UCLA's got a bunch, um, but yeah, I mean, that doesn't really, obviously you, you see that doesn't really matter, right? Like, <laughs> there's a lot of other yeah. things that matter than who looks good coming off the bus. Uh, should we go to the next one? Smelling, yeah. smelling of Troy from Hithliday. I was doing film study of Stanford last week, Stanford, and it became pretty clear to me that USC's offensive linemen and running backs and pass protection are really good if, and there's a big capital bold if, they're communicating with each other and know whom to block. But that is shockingly rare, and at least one guy per play is usually way out of position. And that... And that this, more than Daniel's inexperience, is the major problem with USC's offense. I thought I get, I thought I got a lot of confirmation of that theory watching USC live against Texas on Saturday, but haven't been able to reveal, I mean, review the film closely yet. What do you boys think, Hitlerday? I've never agreed with you more in your entire career of writing the show. I, you know, it's it's hard to watch the offensive line, but when you that's something you're looking for, and you do, and you just count like. Sometimes the announcers will say they brought the house. They're like, no, they they blitz five. You know, they they had five people. You know, rush the passer. It wasn't bringing the house. Um, sometimes it's just four. It's just like one. You know, the defensive tackle drops back into zone coverage, and some other linebacker uh, comes in and blitzes. So many times, Hitler Day, I would see six or seven blocking, four or five rushing. And one or two blockers not blocking anybody. So you essentially just eliminated players from that. And, you know, to make the, it's the ultimate team sport. You got to have all 11 on the same page. So many times hit the day there, there's those five guys plus the running back or tight end or whatever are not 
on the same page and you're, you're allowing fewer numbers to put pressure on your quarterback or stop a run. And then that allows you also to drop more back into coverage. So even if you do get time, now you're facing uh, more guys on, on defense in the secondary. So agree with you hundred percent hit the day. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, this is from Josh chip Kelly. Hmm. What's up, Brian and Dave? This is your loyal listener from Arkansas, Joshua. So I'll just ask the hard question for Dave. Is there any evidence that Chip Kelly is doing anything besides cashing checks and waiting for that sweet buyout life? He's doing nothing with the offense. The defense is atrocious, and it's looking like he might just go 0-12. UCLA has just seven commits with three months until the early signing period, and the class is ranked 88th, just ahead of Army and Air Force. Army and Air Force offer the opportunity to play football for four years and then potentially get shot at. (laughs) <laughs> Does Kelly realize that he can't get the first pick of the draft by tanking? I figured Kelly would at least go for an extension on his deal before folding up shop. This is ridiculous. Uh, Was tanking a pun there? With the uh, yeah, that's that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, yeah. Is there any evidence at this point? No. Um, it is three games in, um, so... Lots of things look weird in a small sample, um, but I'm, I haven't seen. So there's two things with the offense. First, as I said, I think a little bit earlier, um, if you look at if you compare the first three games of 2009 to the first three games this year, it actually doesn't look a whole lot different from like a success rate standpoint. Uh, the big difference is actually that um, special teams have been atrocious. Uh, they're starting on about the average of the UCLA 26 yard line. Um, and they're allowing teams to start on about the average of their 36 yard line. Um, whereas, you know, those Kelly teams in 2009 were about even in, in field position. Um, and that's actually been the big shift. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking it's partially, uh, small sample stuff. Um, cause they're getting a, a similar number of explosive plays. They're running at about the same tempo. Uh, they're throwing it a little bit more than they ran it in 2009, but it's not too different. Um, but the big difference is special teams. And then I think defensively, they're just not as good, um, as they, as, as Oregon was in 2009. So, but like that comparison isn't too far off. So maybe it's just a slow start. That's literally the only possible positive explanation for this is just kind of a slow start. I don't know if that's accurate looking at the offense structurally, like if it's from an eye test perspective, um, it doesn't make any sense to me what they're trying to do. I, I don't really get it. Um, I, I'd love for somebody to explain it to me, but watching it, it just looks like they're a mishmash. They're trying to do under center. They're trying to do pistol. They're trying to do shotgun. They're trying to do spread. They're trying to do ACE. They're trying to do everything. And I don't know too many teams in college football who are capable of doing everything. Um, And the ones that are, are like the Alabamas, the ones that recruit at a top five level. So that goes to your second point, which is they're ranked 88th in recruiting. Um, And yeah, I think he did a good job of identifying a bunch of under-recruited three stars at the end of this last cycle. But I don't know that that strategy is going to fly every year, year after year um, out evaluating everybody and just coming up with diamonds in the rough. Um, so I, I don't know about that. I think you need to recruit at a higher level if you're going to try to run an offense that tries to do everything. Um, from a statistical standpoint, though, again, um, they don't look that different offensively from what they looked like when he took over as head coach at Oregon in 2009. So maybe that's some solace. But, um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to reserve the right to, to change my mind on this. But, uh, yeah, no, things aren't looking great right now. 
All right, Joshua. Um, I, as you know, I thought this was a great hire. I'm not changing that yet three games in and because of what recruiting's ranking, you know, ranked in September and all that. But I get what you're saying. I get their concern. I think there's definitely, it's not going near as smoothly. As I, I didn't think it was going to go smooth, but I didn't think it was going to go um, this poorly so far. But there, you again, when you hire someone like that, you kind of have to, you're, you're putting faith in what their system is and what they're going to do. And I still think he's going to end up being good. Um, there's, I get why you think that might not be the case. Like there's a lot of problems. Uh, it looks like there's way more problems than I thought there would be. But I'm, you know, I'm going to give it the first year. I was get, I was writing off the first year, no matter what. I said that from the beginning. Didn't think it would be this bad. We'll see going forward. You know what they do in the off season. There'll be more, you know, purging. There's going to be a lot of stuff going on between now and and next football season. And then, you know, take a, a, a fresh look at it next year, you know, after after signing day, after how the season ends, all that kind of stuff, um, what this team is going to look like. And then I think you'll get a much better feel next year. If they're not showing a lot of improvement by next year, then I think you could be more concerned. But for now, it's sort of like, hey, you, you did this thing. You went out and did the craziest thing that everyone wanted to do. You kind of have to give it some time and, and let it, you know, let it grow and let it blossom. And, and, and you know, if you're a UCLA fan, hopefully it does. But it's it's looking like the ground has been salted and there's just nothing growing from it. But I give it time and I think you'll see some different results. Hey, there you go. This, is it the positive? Mr. Positive. Is over it there. positive over there? So I'm I'm more positive about USC and you're more positive about UCLA. It's great. Look at that. Uh, okay, this is um, from Austin in Salt Lake City, Utah's offense question mark. <laughs> Hey, Ryan and Dave, I have a few ideas about how to help Utah's offense, and I'd love to have you guys order them uh, from most likely to solve our problems to least likely. Okay, so here's one of our people love giving us lists. Um, Okay, so I'm going to read them off. Number one, before each snap, put four plays up on the Jumbotron and have fans vote on which play to run. The four plays will consist of an inside handoff to Moss, an outside handoff to Moss, a fly sweep to Covey, and a punt slash field goal. Uh, okay. <laughs> Two, instead of hiking the ball to the quarterback, just have the center hand the ball to the defensive line and rely on our defense to score. Three, line covey up uh, 15 to 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage and throw the ball to him as if it were a punt return. I kind of like that. Once we get I, the I've always loved that, that idea. That's great. Four, once we get the ball within the opponent's 40-yard line, instantly have Matt Gay kick a field goal because the coaches <laughs> say... He's been consistently hitting from 50 to 60 plus in practice and pray it somehow doesn't get blocked. And number five, making a change at offensive coordinator because it's been over a year now, which is far too long without a change. But in all seriousness, what in the world does Utah need to do to put something that resembles an offense onto the field and can it be done over this bye week? Thanks from Austin and Salt Lake City. Okay, so first let's rank these. So number four is really intriguing to me because I think that is the ideal form of offense for Kyle Whittingham. Like, I think he would love to be able to just kick a field goal as soon as he gets over there. Kind of like, have you ever watched a water polo game and when they're like starting to run out the shot clock, they just kind of throw the ball into the corner and get back on defense? <laughs> I think that's I think that's how Kyle Whittingham would prefer to play offense. Okay, well, we got it over there, so let's just do the quickest thing that will let us score points and then let's get back on defense. Um, so I, that one makes sense to me. Okay, I like so that idea. One. Uh, number three is pretty cool. Uh, line covey up 15 to 20 yards beyond the line of, scr- beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, 
I don't know what a success rate there is, but getting at least like five to 10 yards, I could see that happening. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, give me that one. Number two, um, the defensive line didn't score when they got the ball, hiked, when they got the ball essentially hiked to them by Jake Browning. So number two is way down for me. <laughs> yeah. That would be last for me. Um, number five is, is on point. Um, I think, you know, obviously going two years, I think that's obviously a big problem to have the same OC for a couple of years. Yeah. So that's probably number three. And then, um, Fans voting on the plays, I, I just don't think any of the plays are really good. Um, this offense looks broken, so I, that's probably pretty down for me. So I, I think you would get, you know, I think that would be kind of cool though, just to have people vote on what's going on. You know, that, I think some team should approach it that way. Yeah, like some really bad, like Rutgers should do that. Right, like just just to get the fans involved, it'd be kind of fun to go to a game and just be like, hey, I get to call the plays today. Yeah, um, uh, good stuff though. There, we'll, we'll see if the Utes can turn things around. I think they need um, if they really want the offense to be really good. I, I'm I'm coming around on the idea that uh, they might just need a different head coach. I think Kyle Whittingham is really good. He's really good at getting to like a bowl game every year. Um, but I think he puts governors on the offense because um, Troy Taylor was good before he got to Utah, and this offense looks atrocious now. So I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, but I think I think the fact that there's been so much turnover at OC over the years. Uh, speaks to maybe Whittingham putting the brakes on the offense uh, just kind of stylistically and strategically. We'll see. I still pick, think they're going to win the South, but um, they're going to have to score some more points. Yeah, more than seven, definitely. Yeah. Uh, you're up next. All right. Uh, this is from John and Brea targeting. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Wow. A lot of targeting calls this week. Did you see the end of the ASU versus San Diego State game? Isn't targeting penalized 15 yards from the spot of the foul unless it happens behind the line of scrimmage? If not, do you think it should be? I always look forward to your podcast. Thanks. Uh, I don't know the exact rule. Um, I, I, I've always thought the kind of the pass interference um, rule is kind of weird, which is, I think, what they were maybe basing their decision off of which is if it happens beyond 15 yards, it's not a spot foul. It's just 15 yards because the NFL, I think, gets that closer to right, which is that it's the spot foul pretty much no matter where it happens. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I thought it was just 15 yards. I didn't know about the the spot or whatever. But, yeah, that was a weird – you don't want to have a targeting like help. Like it basically targeting kind of helped San Diego State, right? Um Besides the, the player getting ejected and not being able to play the first half, uh, but you know you, you could argue that's what caused the quote unquote incompletion. Um, I, I don't think you can make it like a spot foul, like and make it a forty yard penalty or anything like that. I don't know. I mean, you'd have to really change the rule. But I, I, to me, and then you know, looking at some of the different targeting things, like, well, did he hit? Was the crown here? Was the intent there? It's hard. I think sometimes you might try to not, you might try to hit him with your shoulder and the, the player moves and it goes helmet to helmet and then you're going to get called for targeting. Uh, it's, it's just really, to me, it's a really tough rule to enforce. And uh, I don't quite understand every, all the little nuances of it either. No. Uh, this is USC question, but it's uh, with a dollar sign instead oh, of an S. Yeah. So they're always making one particular typo. It's strange. It's very strange. This is from Scott. Hey, Ryan and Dave Coog fan here. love the podcast. Keep up the great work. And Dave's comments on Twitter make Saturdays 10 times better. <laughs> nice. Not my comments on Twitter. Like I'm pretty snarky on there too. Uh, okay. So USC another time spelled with a, a dollar sign. Seems right. to be struggling. Maybe his S is broken. Yes. That could be it. And sometimes that happens on these, these old keyboards. Uh, seems to be struggling a little bit these days. 
Ryan, I was curious what your take on the state of the program is. It appears Georgia fans are in full meltdown mode and want a coaching change. Do you have any thoughts there? Is coaching the actual issue? Are the players slash coaches as ready to give up on the season as the fans seem to be? What will it take to get a new staff and who would be your pick? Okay, that was like 15 questions. Um, You've already answered most of the first ones, so maybe just answer that last one. Yeah, uh, so to get a new staff at this point, yes, I think coaching is a huge problem right now. Um, I don't think you're going to see a mid-season sort of deal, but I, I said in the beginning of the season, one and two was a realistic possibility, but it's a one and two feeling even like it feels you know, worse than what I thought it would be, uh, even with the fan base. It wasn't like, you know, losing a heartbreaker. It was like getting beat pretty badly, not scoring a touchdown at Stanford, and then running for minus five yards against the Texas team that gave up 322 total yards rushing to Maryland and Tulsa. So it feels worse. It's 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 the I think there's more pressure on Clay Helton than I even thought there would be after one and two. And it, you know, there's a, a potential to get a lot worse. I think even though he signed an extension before the season, it's not a big buyout. I don't think there's a huge buyout there. So Lin Swan could make some sort of change after the season. I'm not seeing Clay Helton make a lot of like moves during the season. I think he's just kind of sticking to his philosophies. If he came out and said, you know what, I'm firing this guy and this guy, and we're going to go forward in a different way. That might save him, but I don't see him doing that. So if it keeps going downhill, I think Lin Swan could really make a change as long as they, you know, don't win the South. And obviously it's something like that. No, but if it goes like this and it's like a 500 team or even seven and five, um, I think there something could happen at this point. Would you take all 68 years of Pete Carroll back next year? All 68. Uh, there's some USC fans that would. I don't think the USC administration would because he would just bring in, he would just be too powerful. They don't, they don't seem like they want that right now, Dave. They don't, they wouldn't want Chip Kelly because Chip Kelly would come in and not do alumni, you know, booster things and stuff like that. Like that's all the stuff that's really important to them. Not that Pete Carroll wouldn't do that, but he would come in and yield a whole lot of power still. Um, so I don't think they would, would end up doing it. I don't, I mean, he's, yeah, I, I think he would probably come back and be good for a few years, but you know, he's kind of run out after a while. He ran out after a while. You know, he had a great run, obviously at USC, um, that great run in Seattle, but it seems like that's kind of petering off too. So I think it would, it would be better for the program, but I just don't see the administration doing that. Right. He said, I would, I'd like to add, I think it's crazy that Oregon and Washington have been to the playoffs before the university of spoiled children, which is the team, which is the team the conference needs to to be uh, dominant year in and year out. He said dominant. I think he means dominant. Uh, year in and year out. Thanks for taking the time to read my questions. Never forget, Larry Scott is the worst. Go Cougs. Larry Scott is the worst. And it's been, it's a four-year window. So it's not like, um, you know, yeah. So yeah, they they should, you know, it's a four-year window and they had Sark and, and Clay Helton as the head coach during that four-year window. So you can understand uh, why they have not made the playoffs. Yep. All right, so this is from Michael, uh, grumpy old Michael. Uh, The Pac-12 Network's on Spectrum. Hi, guys. For your frustrated listeners, here's how you can deal with the Pac-12 Network's on Spectrum. They have a $12 package, which includes all of the Pac-12 Networks, as well as a bunch of other sports channels, including the Red Zone channel, which is nice if you're into the NFL or in a fantasy league like my kids are. 
I sign up just before the season starts and cancel as soon as the Pac-12 basketball tournament is over, since that is the only way to see all those tournament games. So I pay the $12 for around five and one half months. It is worth it to me. This is not incompetence by Larry Scott. It is, it is a deliberate strategy to force you to pay if you want to watch games outside your area. There is so much ridiculous incompetence that this seems pretty innocuous. For what it's worth, they are not going to quote-unquote fix this. They see it as a feature, not a bug. Hope this helps. Grumpy old Michael. Okay. Grumpy old Michael, but that's if you have Spectrum. So if you don't have Spectrum, I mean, is it like if you could pay $12 out of the gate, that's, that's worth it. But I'm talking if you have to already have the Spectrum cable package and you add $12 to it, that doesn't really help someone with DirecTV, which there's millions of people in, in, in just in Los Angeles well, alone. fine. I guess that's a fair point. Whatever. <laughs> Hater. I don't know. If there's, let us know. Is there a $12 like standalone Spectrum package where you just pay $12 a month and you get the Pac-12 network? That would be great. As of now, it's like the cheapest thing I think you can do is get like Sling or uh, FUBU or whatever for like $40 a month. Like if if you want to get something that's not in your, whatever your package is, you got to pay, it seems to me like $40 a month. If there's a real package that can, you can, can pay 12 can, can you stop talking about my package? It's making me uncomfortable. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, I'm like, I'm running out of, on fumes and I got to do a whole nother podcast after this. This will be my, this is my second. Um, so let's try to finish these off quickly if we can. Is that cool? All right. Well, this one is just thoughts from the weekend. Um, so, so let's we skip it. Yeah, let's skip, skip it. it. Yeah, we'll skip, skip it. it. Sorry, Matt. We're just getting towards the end here. Um, um, let me do Nick's rundown. Okay. Uh, this is Nick from Cypress, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. Shout out Ryan banning people on the P. Abraham and David Lyons coach Mike Patricia Woods because the Bruins have played like the Lions in the past 50 years. LOL. Rundown. Stanford wins by 20 versus UC Davis. UW 21-7. Utah close game won by UW. Oregon 35 versus San Jose State 22. Close game compared to the point spread. USC 14 versus Texas 37. Texas won the game outright in the third quarter. Refs missed a safety call. No ASU 21 versus San Diego State 28. Come on, Herm, you were killing me, Maine. OSU will never win back-to-back games. Lose 37-35 by a missed OSU late-game field goal. Uh, Eastern Washington 24, Washington State 59. I love how Mike Leach wins at a dump of a recruiting ground like Washington State. The 5-5-9 is celebrating as Fresno State Bulldogs 38-14 against Ugly. I think he must mean UCLA. Yeah. Ugly typos. is, yeah, and he must have copied and pasted it. Ugly is 0-3, and when do they get a W, or do they? Arizona and K-Tate double up Southern Utah 62-31. Does this get Arizona back on track? I hope not. I'll be in Tucson in two weeks and can't stomach a USC loss on the road. Predictions, USC, I hope, over Mike Leach's Washington State Cougars. Coach Helton is undefeated at home, even though this is six days after the Texas loss. Arizona over Oregon State. K-Tate is all I need to say here. Stanford over Oregon. Game day will be in Eugene to see them lose to Stanford. UW over ASU. UW is UW. Herm would have to pull off a miracle on ice type game to win. Depressing question for both Ryan and Dave. Who's playing worse, USC or UCLA? Who wins more games at the end of this year? Does UCLA win a game? All right. The answers to your questions, Nick, are UCLA, USC, and no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll go yes. I'll go yes. UCLA does win a game. I, don't ask me which game it is at this point, but I'll say yes. I agree with it. What would you set the, what's the over under on win? So you you think it's like a half game right now for UCLA wins? Uh, no. I'm going to say there's some improvement. I would set the over under at like two. 
Okay. Um, um, so I, I'll, I'll say there, and that's with improvement. <laughs> if you're, if you're accounting that the young guys might get better over the course of the year, I'm setting it at two. Man. All right. Uh, we'll see where that. Well, goes. Are you taking that over? Or are you taking that under? Uh, I mean, two is pretty good. They, they don't get Oregon State. Yeah. They get Oregon instead. They don't get Washington State. They get Washington instead. Yeah. I might go under. <laughs> which I didn't think I would say. And I'm supposed to be high, a little higher on them. Uh, what the actual F is going on in LA from Zach in New York City. Hey, Ryan and Dave. First things first, Dave. I apologize. I shouldn't have accused you of panicking because I'm officially panicking. Now let's play true or false. Oh, true or false. I like true or false. I love true or false. JT Daniels has a stronger arm than Jake Browning. Sidebar, uh, how is he this hyped? He's looked completely pedestrian or scientifically speaking, Browning-esque. Uh, but somebody else thought so. False. You are completely wrong on this, Zach. So, dude, Slightly false. He had Slightly to throw false. 51 times. In, in yeah, Texas, yeah. like, and his his arm was looking pretty noodly by halfway through that. Three hundred twenty-two yards, pretty noodly by throw number thirty, if I do say so myself. All right, UCLA is going to win a game this year. We already did this one. We'll both true, say true, baby. True. Clay Helton is going to be. Uh, here's some, wow, it's a couple uh, dollar sign UCs coach a year from so now. So a little bit of dyslexia and same broken keyboard issue. Yes, uh, a year from now. False. False. Uh, the P meltdowns make Ryan question everything he holds dear. <laughs> no, dude, this, that's why. That's how we make a living. I just went on. Uh, the one cool feature we have on twenty four seven is there's like the flag post, so it's really hard to go read when you're working a game. You're just working, 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 and we're not seeing what's going on, on the boards because they, they go nuts. So when people flag the posts, I can go in and look at like, oh yeah, that's bad, and I just banned like ten people. Uh, follow. I'm not a big banner. Like I know Tracy's pretty big banner guy. I don't ban a lot of people, so I got to ban a lot. I felt pretty good. Yeah, that's a great feeling. Uh, the bro melt. <laughs> you need to every once in a while. It actually helped. It like stopped people from being idiots. The bro meltdowns uh, are something uh, DW loves because some people just want to see the world burn. And it, oh, I'm sorry, I had to do that in English accent. Because some people just, no, go ahead. I can't even do it. Wow. That's awful. That was atrocious. That was awful. I love that. I can't even think I love that. giving up on a shitty accent like halfway through. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, like not going to work. Um, yes. Uh, yes. There's nothing I love more actually than when the message board is just on fire because it's so angry. Yeah. Um, like post, because like post Oklahoma, people were like, oh no, they're really, they're, they showed us some stuff. They look okay. And then post Fresno State, Everyone was just like, I'm, I'm questioning everything. I'm, I'm, I'm questioning my life choices. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know why I'm doing this in Rick Neuheisel's voice, but, um, it was just wild. So, um, yeah, I love that. True. Okay. True, 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 true for me. The over under, uh, the number of games UCLA needs to win for chip to stay off the hot seat going into next year is 2.5. False, 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 false. false it's false. off the board. It's false. off the board. Yes. There's no, no hot seat next year. Yeah. Unless he like, does some me too thing or something like that. You know, he, yeah, no, just it would have to be something completely not related to games. Right. Uh, and then say, uh, say is going to be the best, uh, again, dollar sign UC receiver since Carol left. I, I think that's potentially true. He's, uh, he's really good. Marquis Lee did attend USC, correct? He did. Yeah. And it was since Carol left. Uh, yes. Peak that he won the Bolitnikoff award. False. Okay. 
I mean, he could he could be up there. Lastly, I love the pod and cringe at any suggestions other listeners provide. You guys are perfect. Don't change a thing. With that said, there's only one man that could provoke, uh, provide a value add to the podcast, specifically after a uh, dollar sign UC loss. That man is Scott Wolf. <laughs> I hear he has some free time on his hands. Oh, he would be perfect for us. Um, I don't. He's still tweeting and he's still he does his own blog now but i don't see him out at practice and he hasn't come to games so i'm I'm not sure i thought he would still like come out and stuff but we haven't seen him around yeah all right uh this is from uh pac-man 88 utes hello guys this is pac-man from kansas city i'm not sure if you guys had the opportunity to watch that crap fest that was the utah washington game but if you did you may have noticed that the refs were the worst I'm surprised I'm surprised that no one on the Utah team was taken off in a stretcher because the refs did not review any calls against Washington. At the same time, Utah had two players kicked out for targeting. One of them was highly questionable and one was maybe could be justified. I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming the game. There's a lot of repetition in here. I'm not blaming the game being lost on this because obviously our offense was horrendous, but this did take us out of rhythm. I was really just worried for the safety of the players. Britton Covey got hit so many times in a defensive position. There were also many late hits on the quarterback on Utah's side, Tyler Huntley, that they didn't even review or even look at. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it really just, I, I, but I really just think it seemed like the Pac-12 wanted Washington to win. Of course, Utah didn't do any favors by being terrible on offense and plundering any opportunity given, uh, squandering, I believe. Uh, understand, I understand no ref is going to make every right call, but I really think that they should be held accountable for the missed calls. I mean, these were horrendous, and this crew shouldn't even be allowed to ref again. Do they not have like some kind of quality team that will review and give grades after the fact on how they made calls? There should be some kind of coaching when calls are missed. It's a lot, guys. I really love the podcast. There is some uh, format for that um, where they do get graded. I remember we got some really boring speech about that at the beginning of Pac-12 Media Days one year. Yeah. Um, but I obviously, they're not doing a good job of it because no. the refing is worse and worse every single friggin' year. Um, I saw some of this. I, I, I saw some of what you're talking about. Part of it, and I don't mean to put blame on the players. But part of it was Tyler Huntley. He put the ball in some bad spots um, for guys trying to catch it. Uh, Britton Covey was hit in a defenseless position a lot of times because he was trying to lay out for balls that ugh, just were not placed well. Um, so some of that, I, I, I do agree. I think there were probably a couple of plays that those could have been called for penalties, but also just not putting themselves in position to not get just killed out there. Yeah. Hey, Pac-Man, I read your email before, so I made a few phone calls, and I did find out the Pac-12 did want Washington to win, and they instructed (laughs) the refs to make some bad calls. Now, it's really hard to take this email seriously when, if you watch the USC-Texas game, now that was something. Now, and even in that game, yeah, they get a safety taken away. Yeah, 12 more safeties, USC wins that game, right? Uh, I'm just, <laughs> you have to be able to score on offense to like make any of this matter. So uh, I, I think this is misplaced um, angst a little bit on your part, Pac-Man. It's just bad. And I don't think, we, we talked about this before, it's more about incompetence. They would have to be a lot more competent than they think they are to actually try to make a difference in a game one way or another. I just don't think they do. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Truth. Hithoday from is from the Addicted to Quack podcast. Oh, yeah. We already outed Hithoday as an organ. As yeah, an organ we, we kind of knew that, right? Oh, crap. We had a... Uh, uh, okay, Ruins and Ref. So there's another there's another uh, typo. They, they forgot a, a B. 
Hey, Ryan. Yeah, and they Dave, capitalized the R. That's weird. Yes. So it must it, it, sometimes keystrokes happen. Ryan yeah, and Dave still true. loving the podcast. Good. Is that was that in question? Um, <laughs> is it like you were expected? Yeah. Four weeks. I, I figured I'd be out over it by now. <laughs> I've been listening for four weeks and I'm still loving it. Uh, Dave, I hope you're enjoying UCLA's putting the quote ruins into quote Bruins. Oh, so he had something there. Uh, oh, Ryan, okay. Ryan, how is USC favored over Washington State? I do not know. That's why I picked Washington State. What happens to Helton and or his staff if they lose to Washington State? Um, Clay Helton will tell you how hard his team played and they're going to do everything they can to get back on track and they still have their goals in front of them of winning the Pac-12 South. He'll get shuttled over to LAX where he'll get on a plane, then be asked to come off the plane and be fired. Yeah, it would get it would get pretty bad. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Real question. So I guess those weren't real. Watching the USC versus Texas game and seeing the egregious blown call on the safety that didn't get called, would I be paranoid to think that other conference referees tend to give uh, great benefit of doubt to their own conference teams, except for the Pac-12 refs? who seem to ally with the conference's overall self-sabotage <laughs> philosophy. Well, I think the Port Augustine targeting call was legitimate but marginal. The speed that it was reviewed with uh, was the fastest I've ever seen a targeting call made. It seemed like the targeting is uh, the U-Dumb versus Utah game took several times as long and was about the same degree of uh, margin. Uh, keep up the entertaining podcast, and thanks for doing it, Bill V. Yeah, there was a targeting uh, on the Texas player that they didn't call, against Amon Rossi Brown, where the dude, it was a huge blow up. Like it was crush, obvious targeting, like head helmet to helmet. And then it popped the ball out. St. Brown caught it, like landing on his butt. The Texas player who targeted him then jumped on top of him and tried to get the ball. So he jumped on top of the player he just targeted. And then as he got up, kneed him twice in the head. And they didn't call targeting. What they were reviewing was he caught the ball two yards beyond the first down marker, but then got targeted and the ball popped out and he landed like beyond, you know, where it was short of a first down. So they called it, it wasn't even a first down. They were only reviewing the spot and then got targeting from that. So I get what you're saying, Bill. It just seemed like usually you have opponent, like the, uh, the, uh, the visiting team refs, you know, I don't know why the PAC 12 wasn't refing this one. And I, I, I get with you. Like it, it seemed like there was a little bit of home cooking, whatever, but it didn't matter. I mean, USC got killed. It doesn't really matter. But the way it was, even like Dave saw it, like there was some really weird stuff going on there. It was beautiful. It was, it was everything <laughs> I wanted out of a game. It was so great. Just like, and just like, uh, after reviewing the play, uh, there, there was no safety. <laughs> Who was even asking about the safety? Uh, it was just so good. It was so good. I loved every bit of it. It seemed like um, it was like from 40 years ago or something, you know, like it was it, so great. Yeah. It was so great. Uh, a text message from KC is Colorado the favorite to win the South. I still think Utah. I think, yeah, I don't think right now. I, I wouldn't have Utah. I think probably if odds makers were doing it, it would be no. It would probably be a team without a boss already, right? If you were just doing the odds, uh, yeah, it, be, it would probably it be ASU most likely. I don't know. God, well, Colorado, it's such a mess. You know, I mean, like just looking at them, I still think I would put Utah there. But, they, you know, there's offensive problems. Colorado Their might be like, so bad, man. Yeah, they might. Colorado might be like the technical favorite. But, um, yeah, we haven't ranked highest in the power rankings. But I'm still I'm sticking with my pick of uh, Utah. 
And I've already agreed I'm adopting Oregon State, not Colorado, so I cannot be biased in their favor. Um, nice. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, fine. They're the, they're the favorite. You could pick like any one of four teams to be the favorite right now, I think. All right. All right. Uh, from Anthony, we've got one more question. Okay. Hi, Ryan and Dave. Which of these new coaches will rebound and have a strong finish of the year and which will have a terrible season? Willie Taggart at Florida State? No rebound. Like, they're going to be get so bad. He could they, get he fired. Could, he could get fired this and, year. And there's arguments where like it would be better. Like people are like, how could you fire someone their first year? Like if if you just see it coming out of the gate, it might be better just cut cut ties and move on. Like it it I don't I don't agree with that with Chip Kelly. Nowhere near that. But I think that that might be the right call here. Yeah. Uh Chad Morris, Arkansas. Doesn't look very good. With who'd they lose to? They lost to uh, They got their ass beat by North Texas. Yeah. Like like woof. Yeah. (laughs) Like super bad. Yeah. Um, So that's not good. And let's see who's on Arkansas schedule. They've got, they got to go at Auburn. They have Alabama this year. They've got to go at Mississippi state. Oh yeah. They're going to get worked. Um, So no, they're not going to be good. Scott Frost in Nebraska. I think once that Martinez kid comes back, I think they're going to be fine. Yeah. They're fine. Like that's, you're not messing with that. He'll be good. Uh, Kevin Sumlin at Arizona. That's another one where I think you could make a semi-justified case to fire him uh, after this year because they're going to be so bad. I think it's Arizona, so you can't. Like Florida State, I think you could. I don't think you can at Arizona. You just they're not going to, but you could make a case to. Yeah. Chip Kelly, we talked uh, about, no. Yeah, no. no, uh, no. Well, I think they're going to have a terrible season. Yeah. Yes, yes, uh, yes. But they're yeah, not they're, like... Right. Oh, this was more. This wasn't about fire. It was like rebounding. Yeah, I don't think they're going to rebound. <laughs> we just we just took it to a dark place. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're not going to rebound. They're going to be they're going to be bad all year. Um, <laughs> Dan Mullen at Florida. I think they're going to be fine. Yeah, they'll be all right. Uh, and then Sonny Dykes at SMU. I don't really know much about that. So. I don't know a damn thing about SMU right now. Yeah. So sorry. I Anthony. think they'll be fine. He's usually able to produce some offense. So yeah. Sweet. Well. Okay. We didn't quite get the two hours, but you know, hey. This is, well, this, we, we kind of ran through those. I think if we'd read all of Michael's email, we would have been, or we Matt, hour mark. we would have been all in. Yeah. This is my sandwich podcast. I had my like over an hour Harvey Hyde podcast with our two hour, you know, with that kind of a double patty cheese and bacon middle podcast of champions. Then I got like a Dan Weber podcast right after this. So that'll be another like hour and a half of me talking and I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. So I apologize to all of you, Dave, my co-host. I apologize to you if I'm just, uh, just saying things that just don't make any sense. Um, but they here. That's where I am. That's where I am right now, Dave. Yeah, I, I get it. And, uh, I respect it. Um, I think we've both recorded this <laughs> podcast where we were in much more nonsensical states. So I think we both actually did a good job soldiering through. I think it was pretty good. It, it helped only having four games to preview and they're, yeah, they're good. God, if we'd had to, if we had to pretend to be knowledgeable about a full six game slate, that would have been rough. So or eleven games, God forbid. So the, what the perfect scenario is going to be: Herm getting the huge win on the road and like knocking us all out of the the survivor pool. That would be best. Mostly because it'll just give us one fewer thing to remember to do on this show. Right. I think if we all lose, I think we can continue. Right. Like if everyone picked Washington, we could keep it going potentially. Well, what about like? Uh, like the poor planning involved when it like hits a week where there's only like four games and we've already, already picked all the teams. Yeah, that could certainly happen. Um, we'll see, but that's why, you know, like Kyle was saying, Kyle Bonagora, our buddy, 
even though he says Jake Browning has a strong arm. Um, our buddy was saying, like, I was picking to try to go undefeated. You were picking to try to go, you know, through each week. This could have been one of those weeks where, like, you picked like, USC, you picked some favorites. Like, if you had picked Washington, you'd be kind of screwed this week because that was the one obvious pick, you know? Yeah. Kyle, <laughs> Jake Browning's strong right arm, Bonagora. We got to have him on and defend himself because, uh, I mean, he said that. But I don't know. what he, he wrote that. He wrote that in print. And I don't think anyone added that to his article. No. Uh, was, you know, without his knowledge. I don't think that happened at all. I mm-hmm. think he just, he truly believes that Jake Browning has a strong right arm. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, clearly that's, that's 100% it. There could not be another explanation for that appearing in a piece that he uh, has a byline on. He did get to go. Uh, I saw him tweet out. He got to go to the Utah um, Washington game. So that was the last Pac-12 stadium he hasn't been to, so he got to check that out. I will be there as well. Uh, I'm going to go to USC, Utah, and that's the last Pac-12 stadium I have not been to, so looking forward to that. I once saw UCLA lose 44-6 to in that stadium before oh. Utah was a member of the Pac-12. Interesting. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. All right, well, I guess we should wrap it up before we do get close to four hours. Uh, that is David Woods. He's uh knows everything about the UCLA Bruins, now the Oregon State Beavers. He's very, very smart. <laughs> he understands all this stuff. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. I think I know stuff about USC, but I don't really because that's just that's what I do. Uh, together, we are the Podcast of Champions. We thank you so much for tuning in. If you're still listening at the hour 56 mark, bless you. Thank you. And uh, we will talk to you next time.